Okay, so today's Torah and tea, I want to actually start by saying good yomtev. Why is it good yomtev? Because today is the 12th day of Tammuz, yud based Tammuz. Now, yud based Tammuz means the 12th day of Tammuz, and also yud gimel Tammuz, which is the 13th of Tammuz, which is Monday, I mean Tuesday, as well as Wednesday. Uh, these are special days in the Chabad Hasidic calendar, which means, you know, every day of the year, normally we say Tachanun. We say the special prayers in which we ask God for forgiveness, with the exception of holidays. On holidays, we don't say Tachanun. Those are the prayers, you know, like that follows right after the Amida, you do the Tachanun, but you don't say it on festivals, on Rosh Chodesh, on holidays, on Shabbos, any time of Purim, uh, Hanukkah, uh, any time when there is a special festival, we don't say Tachanun. Now, most of these are, across the board, accepted traditions by all Jewish communities. But there is a few days in the Hasidic calendar we're amongst the Chabad Hasidim, and anybody who wants to follow and be part of this tradition, there's a few more days in which we don't say the Tachanun. And today and tomorrow are two of those days. That Yud Beis, the 12th and the 13th day of Tammuz. Why? Because a very special miracle happened on this, on this day, and it was determined that these two days should be celebrated as days of salvation. Now, Yud Beis Tammuz is the birthday also of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Yosef Yitzchok. I want to extend the hearty mazel tov to the Rebetzin and to our children. We just heard the good news that our Mendy gave birth to, his wife Iti, I should say, gave birth to a baby boy. And uh, so mazel tov to them as well for the birth of their son. Uh, but the previous Rebbe was born on this day, on the day of Yud Beis Tammuz. And, but that's not the reason why we celebrate. That's not the reason why we don't say Tachanun, because there's a lot of birthdays. And if we would celebrate every birthday by not saying Tachanun, we would never end up saying Tachanun because of all the birthdays, uh, which, uh, which is not the case. And, but Yud Beis Tammuz, another great birthday present was given to the previous Rebbe on the 12th day of Tammuz because it was on the 12th day of Tammuz that he was freed from his exile. Now, the previous Rebbe was a champion of world jewelry at the time in his total devotion of self-sacrifice in order to preserve and to keep Yiddishkeit to the extent possible. It was a very, very difficult time. This is, we're talking about in the 1920s after the revolution, and then it was uh, Stalin and his henchmen, they made it their business to uproot any aspect of Yiddishkeit. They tried whatever they could. Generally, they were against all religion, basically, to them. Religion was a, a drug, it was uh, something which people were brainwashed with, and they took it upon themselves to eradicate all these 
so-called uh, foolishness which they considered. And they, especially, there were some Jewish groups who were come from Orthodox parents. They come from religious parents. In those days, most of the people, there were deviations, but to lesser or more degree, everybody was somewhat observant. You know, there were certain standards uh, at that time, but the uh, children of some of those uh, earlier, they were called the Maskilim, the Enlightenment Movement, some of their children were so anti-religious and they were so anti their parents and all the teachings that uh, that they uh, taught them that they are the ones that they created this uh, group known as the Efsiektia. That was the Hebrew section, the Jewish section within the Communist Party. Because, you know, the Goyim, they didn't know that much about, you know, what they didn't do, what they don't do. They couldn't really stop them to... Uh, to a degree, they were ignorant of the Jewish uh, traditions. So, but these religious descendants, you know, children who were Jewish, they knew exactly, and they, Dafka, they tried Dafka to eradicate, and they had the government backing behind them. Now, can you imagine? You know, there was nowhere to seek justice, and there was no, uh, uh, no protection, and the religious Jewish people were exposed to the harsh treatment from these, uh, from the institutionalized, this was institutionalized discrimination, harassment, and uh, all kinds of hardships. Now, everybody, most of the people in that time, they said, hey, you know what, we can't fight, we're just a few of us, and we're weak, and we're not strong enough, and how could we stand up against the government. I mean, they, it's, it's impossible. So most of the people just <coughs> gave up. You know, they said, what are we going to do? So they gave up. And that's why most of the Soviet jury used to be somewhat involved in Yiddishkeit, but then over the generations, because of the oppression, because of the government's, uh, you know, forbidding and, and causing all these obstacles... Over time, it was mostly uh, mostly forgotten. And, uh, you know, you speak to some Russian people today, they'll tell you, oh, the grandfather used to go to shul, they remember, like, from as kids or something. But it, it was very, very little bit left. Now, the previous Rebbe, with a handful of Hasidim, or whatever, you know, whatever, how many Hasidim, they were going to stand up against this mighty empire government and try to you know, fight back, which means to keep some Yiddishkeit. And they created under uh, underground yeshivas and underground shuls and mikvahs and and shoichtim and shechita and all kinds of Judaism. They, they, they did whatever they could. And, you know, eventually the government picked up that it was the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe of Yosef Yitzchok, who was the head who is inspiring and who is leading the resistance to the uh, Russian to the Russian government to try to stop Yiddishkeit? So they arrested the previous Rebbe and they put him into jail. And they had a bogus court case over there. They had they put him in front of judges, and you know there was no no fair. There was no. Uh, 
uh, no process and there was no uh, no attorneys. You couldn't, you couldn't, there was nothing. It was just what they wanted it to do. And God forbid they judged him and they said that he was firing squad, death by firing squad. That was supposed to be. But Baruch Hashem, it was a big uproar and there was a lot of, uh, amongst the Hasidim, they tried to work through various different uh, means to try to protect uh, the Rebbe. And they were successful to a certain extent that on the third day of Tammuz, that's Gimel Tammuz, the Rebbe's uh, judgment was switched from the uh, shooting squad, then it was 10 years exile, and then it was turned into three years of exile in Kastrama as a punishment for his counter-revolutionary activities. So, uh, he traveled to Kastrama and he was there. But fortunately, on the 12th day of Tammuz, he was told that he is free to go home. They actually provided for him a ticket, a train ticket, so he can go back to his city in Leningrad, where he lived before. And the offices, there was some sort of a holiday, so the offices were closed on that 12th day of Tammuz, so he had to wait an extra day till the 13th of Tammuz to get the actual uh, paperwork. And because of that, the Hasidim had an extra day of celebration. So we have the 12th day of Tammuz, and then we also have the 13th day of Tammuz, and that's why we celebrate. We celebrate, as the previous Rebbe writes, it wasn't a personal issue, it wasn't something that he has done or something related to a personal matter, but rather this was a, uh, I guess, a declaration for all... Jewish people, even if you just have the name Jew, without anything else, in other words, you don't do anything, you don't learn, you don't do mitzvahs, but you're Jewish, this is the day of your redemption, the yud based Thomas, because Hashem has freed us all to allow to be able to uh, serve Hashem. Now, the previous Rebbe came back to Leningrad, back to his home, but they saw it was impossible to continue the work over there of keeping Yiddishkeit, they were following him and they were harassing him and it was impossible. So there was a lot of effort uh, put in from Washington. There were big attorneys with the governments, uh, government of the United States. In any event, uh, eventually, eventually they uh, allowed, they made an exception and they allowed the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, together with all of his family, to exit Russia. That's also when the Rebbe actually left Russia. And, that, uh, and then we have that famous uh, story in which they had a list of who are the people that are joining the previous Rebbe's entourage that are leaving Russia. So one of the people who was there was the Rebbe. And what was his uh, connection? It says, son-in-law, to be. In other words, it wasn't the son of Yeah, he wasn't married yet to the Rebbe's uh, daughter. That that marriage took place several years later in Warsaw. That was uh, later on. But still, they wrote the future son-in-law. So the, uh, uh, I guess the agents over there asked them, what do you have to take out a son-in-law from here? You'll find a son-in-law once you're in, when you're in the free world over there. You'll find a son-in-law there. 
And the previous Rebbe said, a son-in-law like this, I'm not going to find anywhere. So he, he went to it. But, but the Rebbe was known, the previous Rebbe, uh, was known for his steadfast, unyielding, and total self-sacrifice. It took a tremendous amount. I mean, we don't even have uh, an inkling, you know, things that we find difficult to do. You know, some people have challenges in life, and we become totally, you know, blown away because of, you know, uh, you know, go to the minion, uh, uh, go to a class, and do, you know, we find the things hard, but this is really, in comparison, that, that's not really, uh, the hardships that the people had over there, and the uh, tsurus they had to withstand to preserve their Yiddishkeit was unimaginable. I mean, it's hard to think. We think, you know, we, we if we were put in such a situation, you know, would we be able to... Uh, to 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 withstand. I don't know. It's a uh, it's a very uh, it's a very tough call. In any event, uh, the previous Rebbe was the the leader, and after the previous Rebbe left, there was a whole group of Hasidim that undertook to continue the work, and it was, and many of them were actually taken away to Siberia, exiled. Many of them were killed. It was not. It was really self-sacrifice in a great, in a great, uh, in a great way. Uh, one of the famous stories, just it's an interesting, uh, just a, expresses and gives us an idea about the Rebbe's strength. So, as the Rebbe was facing his interrogators, you know, some of the, uh, you know, professional Russian, uh, the KGB interrogators, who was facing him, and the uh, previous Rebbe. Uh, was promised when he was taken, he says that his talus and tefillin are going to be given to him so he can daven and put on the talus and tefillin. But of course, you know, they he demanded it and he said he's not going to cooperate unless they give him his talus and tefillin as they had promised. And uh, there's a lot of, the previous Rebbe himself writes up some of this story. But at one point, he was sitting in front of the investigator and the investigator, and he also insisted on speaking Yiddish to them. He didn't answer in Russian. And, you know, they had to use a, uh, a translator to give his answers. So at one point, uh, he was sitting in front of the investigator, and the investigator uh, wanted him to tell him his name and whatever, you know, give him information. And the previous rabbi said, I'm not, I'm not cooperating until you give me my phone back then, you know. And, uh, says, and he says, I'm not, I'm not answering, you know, I'm not going to answer you. And anything they tried didn't work. And finally, the investigator, he pointed, he had on the table there, he had a revolver. And he pointed to that revolver and he said, you know, this toy, uh, pointing to a revolver, has opened the mouth of many of mute people. Basically, you know, over here you talk or else you get shot, you know. So, uh, uh, so the Rebbe answered him characteristically, didn't uh, let it scare him at all. He said, look, that toy can only scare people who have more than one God, and only one world. So, you know, uh, if they lose their life in this world, they have nothing to look forward to. And, you know, they're more God. They get scared of such a, uh, from your toy revolver, what you call it a toy. But I, the Rebbe says, have only one God, and I have two worlds. I said, I'm not scared of that. And that's, that's how he faced them. He took them on. He, he challenged them, and he never... Uh, he never allowed them to uh, intimidate him. Really, he stayed this strong, and he's 
he suffered a lot. Actually, the previous Rebbe passed away when he was 70, and he was sick before. Some of his ailments had to do with the harsh treatment, with the abuse that he took while he was incarcerated, and while he went through all these difficulties. So some of them, uh, at one point, they, they threw him down the stairs over there, and he really was bleeding. He was, went through, previous Rebbe writes up, it is already in English, it's... Uh, it's a very well uh, documented, you know, exactly some of the uh, troubles that the previous Rebbe went through. But anyway, so was that's why... Arrested? Sure. Rabbi, was he arrested twice? One he, time was longer than the other? Well, the previous Rebbe was actually arrested, as they say, uh, I think 11 times. Uh, but the real arrest was this time. Uh, that was the major one, and this time. Uh, as a young boy, there's another interesting uh, story. As a young boy, I mean, in a way, like Jewish leader, like Moshe Rabbeinu, when he saw the Egyptian beating up on a Jewish man, he he jumped in. But Moshe Rabbeinu had powers, and he can immediately kill that person. But the previous Rebbe once saw a policeman was just sort of starting up with a Jewish uh, Jewish man that was... Yeah that uh, brought along a calf and he was trying to uh, sell it in the marketplace and the policeman was just, you know, uh, torturing him, telling him, what is this? Is this a calf or it's a, uh, it's a swine? What is it? He was just, you know, picking on him. And, and the, basically the, the previous Rebbe, he's a kid. So he jumped the policeman. <laughs> and so they arrested so they arrested the policeman, and they took the cow, the calf away from the uh, from the poor Jew, and so the previous rabbi actually related the story. It was in this dark dungeon, and you know and the, the the calf was there, meowing or doing making his noises, and he was there. But what did he do? He says, luckily, he knew a lot of mishnayos by heart. I mean, his his father. Would actually reward him for every uh, mishnayos that he studied, that he uh, that he studied, and then he would buy books with it, he'd do uh, different things. So he knew a whole lot of mishnayos, maybe all of the mishnayos he knew by heart. So while he was sitting in the jail, what did he do? I mean, he was a kid then. I'm not sure the exact age, but what he was doing? He was reciting mishnayos. Eventually, they let him out. He was a kid. I mean, they let him so. Uh, but his father told him later on. He says, "Look." you're fortunate that you knew the Mishnayas to recite. Because otherwise, what difference would it be between you and the calf? <laughs> at least, you know, at least you're, uh, uh, you had something to study that you were learning. So anyway, that's a lesson also to always have things, uh, you know, in your mind to study, to review, to recite. In the olden days, people would try to remember things so they have. Today we have, you know, all the different... Uh, earphones to listen to all kinds of classes and uh, music or, or whatever it is. But in the olden days, if you wanted to learn something, you couldn't listen. You had to, uh, of your memory, you have to recite it, do it by heart. But in any event, the uh, previous Rebbe was a uh, was a, a champion of Mysterious Nefesh. I mean, he showed uh, he showed the way of, you know, being strong and and the and the, and 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 the Hasidim uh, are actually uh, that followed him and were involved with 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 the Chabad. They were basically, I'm not saying there's not exception, but as a group, were the only ones that 
you know, managed to survive with their Judaism under those conditions. You know, all other uh, groups, even of other Hasidim, there is no other group that was able to, uh, you know, withstand and remain strong. And that's that's a testimony to the, the Rebbe's, you know, greatness. And uh, I also think that the previous Rebbe, uh, the Rebbe, our Rebbe, came in contact with the previous Rebbe during that period of time in the 1920s, late 1920s. And the uh, Rebbe was impressed. He saw firsthand the selfless dedication without any limitation by the previous Rebbe's father-in-law. And that connected him to his father-in-law in such a, uh, a bind, in such a uh, deep and profound way as unmatched, you know, anywhere, uh, such a connection between the Rebbe and his father-in-law. And I think it happened because he, he witnessed the truth. I mean, only the Rebbe, you know, had that uh, ability to really uh, uh, get and, un- and understand the situation. He appreciated and he connected himself to his father-in-law, to the Rebbe, because he represented the authentic essence of total subjugation and devotion to Hashem. And that's what the Rebbe took, and that's what the Rebbe did. To the Rebbe, it wasn't, you know, how much Torah you know how to learn, it wasn't how much mitzvahs you do, it wasn't how much, even how much tzedakah you give, of course there's that also, but to the Rebbe was who is dedicated, devoted to Hashem as a certain, totally subjugated to only do what Hashem wants and be a servant of Hashem. He was the leader, he was the Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation, and that's who the Rebbe gave over his soul, until the Rebbe became the, his own Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation. But the Rebbe never uh, never took that title for himself. The Rebbe always referred to his father-in-law as the Moshe Rabbeinu, the Rebbe of our, the leader of our generation. He always referred it to his father-in-law. But that connection, I think, is that's just my uh, commentary, I'm not sure if it's valid or not, but it seems to me that that took place at that very uh, moments in which the struggle was an endless and it was a total self-sacrifice. That's what the Rebbe saw by his father-in-law and that was what it took along. So anyways, may the great Sadiq's birthday and liberation be an inspiration to us all that while we face Baruch Hashem lesser uh, struggles than they had to face over there for their Yiddishkeit. But still, we all have to deal with our inner struggles, with our Yitzhar Hara, with our challenges that we have. And uh, we have to learn that, A, that uh, we have to stay strong and uh, not give in and not give up. And eventually, things will turn around. As brings me to the Torah, the Parsha of Bullock. In the first parsha, as we see that while uh, people wanted to uh, Bilam, the, the the prophet uh, was hired to curse the the Jewish people, but at the end he couldn't do it. Hashem didn't let him do it. So I'm sure you know anybody heard that Bilam is coming to curse you. Uh, people would be petrified because. Bilam did have some powers, and Bilam's curse did, we know, did work in a lot of cases, but it didn't work against the Jews because they had the uh, the help of Hashem. Hashem was with them. 
So we have to know that sometimes, you know, we face people that make fun of us. We face that 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 challenges. You know, you hear when the uh, the way some of the Arab nations and some of the uh, uh, terrorist groups, the way they uh, talk about. We're gonna, you know, what they want to do to the Jews. It should never, never, ever, ever even come uh, close to what they want to do to us. But you, you hear their, uh, you know, their hatred, and you hear their uh, worse than Bilam, Bilam and Balak. You know, their, uh, and yet uh, we are sure that Hashem will not allow for them to, uh, you know, fulfill and. Uh, bring into practice what they wish for us, God forbid, never happen. But we have to be strong and we can't become uh, faint-hearted or afraid or worried and therefore try to give in and, uh, and to give up. But be strong, be strong. I mean, I know it's easier said, it's, it's scary, but I'm saying the previous Rebbe showed the way and we have, uh, we have the opening of the way. You know, a lot of times... You know, it says to be the first one to do it, it's it's very difficult. I mean, that's the reason why, uh, one of the reasons, like we always talk about Abraham was ready to take his son and sacrifice, but a lot of Jews sacrificed uh, over the generations. Unfortunately, the Jewish history is full with, with martyrs, full with pain, full with people that gave up their life and, 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 and uh, Kiddush Hashem, for the sanctity of Hashem's name, that's not something unique to uh, that only happened uh, with Abraham. So, what's so great about Abraham? So, one of the, the many, one of the many interpretations is that Abraham was the first one to do it. You know, it's uh, sometimes it's uh, it's 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 difficult being the first one. Once somebody opens up the uh, the pipeline, you know, starts it off, then others can follow. That's easier. You know, it's. Uh, it becomes already, it's been done, so it's been easier. So you see in a lot of a lot of times, you know, the first time, oh, this one can run so fast, you know, but the next time, the other one beats him, and the next time beats him. It's, uh, so the, the, the beginning, to do it the first one, Abraham was the first one. I mean, so once the previous Rebbe has done it, shown us the way, so even though it's difficult, I mean, we should learn, and we should get the inspiration, the encouragement. And the main thing is that we should... Uh, be uh, confident that with Hashem's help we will succeed in our challenges and we can overcome them. So hopefully we'll be able to do that in, a, in the fullest measure. So let's do today in the uh, in the uh, the parsha just, you know, just so beautiful how uh, it's a little bit from volume 18 to bring the, the the various different verses, but you know, uh, we read right at the beginning of the parsha that uh, that uh, Balak, the Balak, he was uh, the king of Moab. He sent agents to Bilam, and he he wanted him. He says, "Look, I have these people. They went out of Egypt. I want you to curse them. I want you to curse them because the Jewish people were." winning the battles against the uh, two uh, big, uh, strong, uh, powerful governments, the Sichoin and Oig, they were considered to be the strongest and the most powerful ones. And the Jewish people have smit them. They kicked them out and they 
inherited their place. They saw that the Jewish people were winning the battles in a supernatural way. It was a natural way that they were winning these wars. So they were looking for other means how to get rid of the Jewish people. So they decided that let's go and try to hire somebody to curse them. And they hired Bilam to go ahead and curse them. But, you know, we have the whole story in which we also learn that, you know, Bilam was very arrogant and he didn't want to uh, reveal that he's really not able to do as he wishes because he was trying, he didn't want to tell uh, Bullock that, you know, it's Hashem who controls and I can't, I can try to help you, but at the end of the day, Hashem may not allow for it and, you know, then I can't do anything. So he, so when they sent messages to bring him originally, he said, no, that's not honorable enough, we'll get others. But this also tells us, you know, Hashem, why did Hashem allow this? Because if a person wants to go on a negative side, wants to do, Hashem says, okay. You know, Hashem will allow for us to make a choice which is not good because Hashem gives people the free choice. Hashem gave Bilam also the free choice, the opportunity. First, Hashem a little bit tried to stop him, but if you don't want to go, go. So anyways, so he goes, but he says... What does he say? Such beautiful words. He says, he says, how could I curse them if God doesn't want to curse them? And, you know, if Hashem doesn't get angry, what Dylan was trying to do, he was trying to find an opportunity which the Jewish people uh, are doing something wrong and Hashem gets sort of upset with them. So what Bilam was trying to do, he was trying to find an opportunity in which the Jewish people would do something wrong, God would be angry, and then he would jump on that opportunity and he would curse them. But he says, listen, Hashem doesn't want to curse them, Hashem doesn't want to get angry at them. And then he goes back and he says, look, they're grounded, they have very strong foundations, they are on the forefathers and the and their, their foremothers, and they're very strong. And further, he says, there are a nation by themselves. And Okay, that was his first time. He tried once. And the other thing he says then later on, he says further, listen, Hashem doesn't change his mind. He says, and he has already promised that he will bring them to Eretz Yisrael and he's going to keep his promise, he's going to take them, so it's not going to help me cursing them because God is bringing them into the land of Israel okay, so he says, therefore Hashem has told me that I have to bless them, now the verse is coming to tell you more than that, 